Welcome to the Industry Insights by SAP podcast series. I'm delighted to host this podcast and share key trends and innovations for each of the 25 industries we serve. At SAP, we like to say that we speak the language of our customers, and this language is industry. We've been supporting all industries for more than 50 years now, and it's exciting to launch this podcast and discuss with industry experts the business value that they get from our solutions. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Industry Insights by SAP podcast. My name is Tom Raftery with SAP, and with me on the podcast today, I've got my two special guests, Michael and Natasha. Michael and Natasha, would you like to introduce yourselves with maybe Michael going first? Hello, Tom. How are you doing? Uh, Mike Groves. I'm the founder, chief exec of Topolytics. Uh, we're a data aggregation analytics business, and our mission is to make the world's waste visible, verifiable, and valuable. Fantastic. Natasha. Hi, Tom. Great to be here. I'm Global Circular Economy Lead SAP. So I lead engagement with our customers, which informs all of the industry solutions that we develop. Okay, fantastic. And we're recording this in the kind of middle to end of November of 2021. Uh, You folks have just come back from COP26, which finished last week, a week before now, I think. (laughs) I'm losing track of time. It's uh, COVID times, isn't it? Um, So give me your overall impressions of COP26. I've never been, but I follow them very closely because I've got a real interest in that space. But what did you guys make of COP26? What were your impressions? Had you been there before? What did you take away from it? Do you think it was a good COP or a bad COP? Natasha, do you want to kick off? Yeah, sure. So this was the first COP that I attended um, as it was the first time for SAP. So we took along uh, quite a small group of people, our climate and circular economy experts. And it was really amazing to be there in person. You know, it's this incredible demographic of different people, activists, young leaders, indigenous leaders, you know, NGOs and, and startups. And it was an incredible opportunity to network with all those different people. Um, slightly overwhelming on the first day, being in a room with so many people, uh, you know, after COVID. Yeah. And really saw that it was organized and dominated by some key themes. So regenerative business, you know, focus on nature positive solutions, thinking about ocean health and deforestation, you know, obviously decarbonisation and energy transition was a big focus, as well as social justice, really driven, I think, in part by the activists and and the protests that took place whilst we were there. And there was some mention of circular economy, uh, you know, and seeing that as an actionable framework for change. I think the private sector really showed up, um, huge business and CEO representation at key forums, um, you know, both in the main delegate area, the blue zone, and also uh, in some of the media kind of conferences like New York Times, Climate Hub and Bloomberg. And really understanding the role of technology and data. You know, we heard you can't manage what you can't measure over and over again. Um, And it really showed the importance of putting insights in the hands of the right decision makers to make better decisions on things like global material flows and and thinking about how they can do something about it. Okay, Mike, what were your impressions? Well, I I think it was great that it actually happened. I mean, I think there was a lot of question marks around it. Obviously, it was delayed from last year as well because of pandemic. So I think the first thing was it actually went ahead, which I think was a really positive thing. And so, the, but there was a certain amount of, I think there was a certain amount of scepticism in advance of really what would come out of it. Uh, but to Natasha's point, I think actually um, it was it was pretty successful in that regard. If you look at some of the agreements around forestry, around methane, um, around finance, you know, investment, because that's clearly what we need. If we're going to address 
in a sort of climate change at the scale that we, we, we have to, then it will require investment and it will require us to harness the sort of global kind of business and institutional investment sort of frameworks to, to make that happen. So I think some of that stuff was was really positive. And, 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 and as Natasha said, the level of engagement, you know, right the way across from, you know, from the sort of community groups, from young people, Across to across to multinationals as well as governments, I think was 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 really good to see. Uh, you know, and on a personal note, I mean the forestry agreements. I mean, I in the late nineties, I helped to develop the, the principles and criteria of the Forest Stewardship Council, which was one of the first, you know, sustainable forestry standards. And you know, so I've seen it at the sharp end. And so so I think one of the kind of key things I think across forestry and and the other agreements is okay, fine, get the agreements, but actually, how's it going to be implemented? So that's going to be crucial. Over the next few years, to see you know to see the action that results from those uh, from those agreements. Yeah, no, absolutely. Implementation is going to be key. It's uh, the, the old devil is in the details. To to throw another uh, cliche out there, um, and I I thought it was really interesting to see the G fans come out of it as well. I mean, you you alluded to the investment community being there. So GFANS, for people who are unfamiliar, is the Glasgow uh, Financial, I think it's Alliance for Net Zero. And you had 450 companies from 45 countries, finance companies from 45 countries coming together with net assets of $130 trillion under their aegis. And they have said that they are going to put that money towards net zero projects and not finance fossil fuel projects, which is an incredible uh, achievement. And now again, devil in details, but just even the signal that sends, I think, and having the finance community, I mean, it's great to have the methane, that's fantastic. It's great to have the forestry, that's imperative because all these things are imperative. But if the money is not behind this as well, then very little will be achieved. The fact that the money is now coming out as well, I think that's a huge positive to come out of COP26 as well. Absolutely agree, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, in some ways, you know, you could argue that climate change is, you know, the biggest commercial opportunity we've been faced with in many generations. So, you know, if you, if you want to be sort of quite sort of blunt about it in that way. So, and and, and as you say, it, you know, we can't we can't do the things we need to do in terms of infrastructure, in terms of process, in terms of cities and 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 economies without that level of investment. Um, so I thought that actually was a really really interesting and positive outcome from the uh, from the whole event. We also saw you know the CEO of BlackRock talking with Ellen MacArthur herself, um, and just really you know trying to combat this myth that we have a decision whether or not we do this. And to hear, you know, someone that represents, uh, you know, someone from the financial system saying that business, this is the new business as usual, like the economy has to change and the economy can only change by, you know, industry and businesses taking action. So yeah, really agree. The finance and, you know, finance industry was there and this isn't a choice. This is something that we all need to, you know, work together to make happen. Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned businesses earlier, Natasha, a lot of businesses are now committing to net zero. How do they get there? Because, you know, this is something that businesses have not faced before, typically. So what is, what is net zero and, and how do they get there? 
So yes, we heard a lot about net zero, um, but also you know regenerative uh, businesses is something we we heard as well, which is really not just about kind of cancelling out the harm you might do in the world, but actually uh, focusing on you know climate or nature positive outcomes. It's making a positive impact on the planet. I think we've seen really good signals from you know huge some of the world's biggest brands around how they're trying to embed sustainability or circularity into their strategies. But there's still an unknown around how we get there. Um, you know, some of the technologies that exist uh, that are going to support us, you know, we don't know what they look like yet. That's actually quite scary. Um, but I think, you know, businesses have clearly made the commitment. We've heard this from, um, you know, from the board. And, you know, technology is, is a key way that that will help them achieve net zero goals based on, you know, understanding what's happening today and, you know, how they do something about it. Okay. Mike, any comment on that? Yeah, and, and I think you've, you've already said, Tom, the devil's in the detail. I mean, I think one of the big challenges here, um, you know, we're dealing, with, of course, with a huge, complex sort of beast, i.e., you know, the world, <laughs> the earth. <laughs> and, and so in terms of addressing some of these kind of huge kind of systemic kind of challenges that we have, I mean, absolutely, technology will undoubtedly play a part. But the devil is in the detail in terms of, okay, well, what are we measuring? what is good, what is not good. It's very difficult to say, you know, if you're dealing with an ecosystem. Um, and then, so, so there are big challenges there for the financial sector, I think, in terms of what is material, you know, what, what should we be measuring? And what does that look like in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of good versus, you know, no progress. So, so I think, you know, getting into the detail around some of that data, Bit in terms of the measurement, I think it's going to be really, really important, and actually really defining the quality of the data, the quality of what we're what we're measuring and and, and what we're seeing, and then really sort of aligning that with okay, well, what what do we really then need to do? What does that what does that do for us in terms of moving moving us forward against some of those kind of challenges? So 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 I think there's a huge job to be done there around the data and the quality of that data. Yeah, it's it's the data. It's what we're measuring and how we're measuring, I, th I think, are the two kind of key things, really, aren't they? This is a very immature space uh, in terms of the kind of regulations around the reporting and what's, what companies are required to report. Very many companies are still not required to report anything, but that is going to change. Um, what, what are kind of best practices, uh, Mike, would you say, for people who, who are going to be faced with this for reporting, for measuring and reporting? Well, I can certainly talk to that from my own experience um, in terms of, if you like, waste and byproducts and, 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 and materials. And, and I think certainly one of the things that we see is that, that you know, the way that material is, is defined and measured when it goes into that, if you like, that system, it goes into the waste system. Let's, let's you know, if we just sort of use that word for a moment. Um, it's very different to the way that material might be defined, you know, when it's in a sort of production system or it's being, you know, it's, it's a raw material that's being bought, you know, sort of brought into a, into a company. And so actually really understanding why that data looks the way it does, why those, if you like, those commercial entities in that supply chain define that material in a certain way, measure that material in, in a certain way. So I think it's incumbent upon any of us that are, if you like, involved in that world of analytics and, and, and data processing, to, to really understand the underlying quality of the data and where how it's being measured, 
why it's being measured in a certain way, why those, in our case, why those materials are being defined in a certain way. You know, and that's, you know, it's just the hard yards. It's unglamorous. It's the kind of, you know, digging away in the trenches. But it's the bit that you is absolutely crucial because if we're then going to act on what we're seeing, if we're going to act on those insights that that data can potentially generate, we have to be really, really clear on where that data's come from and the quality of that data. So I think that kind of investing in that bit of it before we then get the sort of beautiful, wonderful sunlit uplands of all the insights, I think is really, really crucial. And what about the the regulations that are coming at companies, Michael? Mike, are you are you looking at this? Is this something that you're uh, aware of? Obviously, in, in your business, you probably are. What kind of regulation should people be watching out for? Um, well, certainly when it comes to materials, and, and and I'll let Natasha talk to you know extended the responsibility because that's something that you know SAP is really sort of getting to grips with. But um, you know, certainly when we when you look at what's happening around the sort of waste and recycling, you've got a whole kind of raft of things there on um, you recycle content. You know, clearly you you've got restrictions on the use of single use plastics, for example, and certain certain materials. Um, you then got obviously this whole issue of duty of care about you know actually understanding you know what is happening to all that material if you put it into the into the waste system. Um, so, and then of course related to that, we have what's happening around carbon emissions and and you know sort of you know reporting on carbon emissions and greenhouse gas emissions um, uh, and measurement as well of that. So so that also is a is something that's 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 coming down the line. And then, of course, you've got the whole sort of the broader um, um, agenda around the circular economy, uh, you know, and, and keeping those materials at their maximum utility, you know, reducing the amount of material that is, you know, effectively designing waste out of the system. And this is obviously a big part of some of the work that SAP has been, been doing. Um, so I'll let Natasha, you know, sort of pick up on that. Natasha. I do love how Mike has made a career out of analysing what he calls rubbish data. <laughs> Indeed, indeed. <laughs> um, I think if we, you know, look at the the packaging regulations that are facing, especially producers today, so consumer product organisations like Unilever and, and Nestle, it's important to uh, remember the kind of the context uh, for that, which is according to the circularity gap. Um, you know, it's said that there are 100 billion tonnes of resources that are produced each year, but less than nine percent of those are recycled or reused. That's creating this huge waste crisis um, that we really have little understanding of, especially, you know, downstream after a consumer has bought something or industrial waste. So, you know, governments, regulators are starting to clamp down on what we call extended producer responsibility. And this is really around, um, you know, getting companies to reduce the amount of kind of packaging that they produce and putting the onus back onto producers for the life cycle of a product ultimately to you know reduce less so we've um, kind of proud to launch this new solution at cop 26 which is all around how do we help businesses manage this and ultimately you know what are the insights that they can have to optimize material choices e.g how can you design products sustainably or with circularity in mind from the outset okay um what so if, if I am a producer, this so I'm a, let's say I'm a manufacturer of I don't know smartphones or blenders or you know something like that. If so, this this extended producer responsibility legislation is coming at me. 
what what specifically does it require me to to measure and do um well first of all it, it's focused on more on the kind of the plastic looking at plastic as a problematic material it's very visible that problem you know there's too much of it in the ocean there's too much of it going to landfill so primarily the kind of regulations looking at that but there is regulation also looking at kind of batteries and electronic equipment and coming up for textiles in the next few years as well so really a company needs to understand how much plastics it's producing, how much recycled content is included in the, the products that they produce, um, and ultimately being able to report on that, not only to governments through things like plastic taxes, so these are new, uh, coming first in the UK and Spain next year, but also um, you know how much they're importing or selling into different countries. So you can imagine if you're you know, an SLA, you're producing thousands of SKUs, product items every year all over the world, you need the data to understand, you know, where is this being shipped to and therefore what's the regulation that might apply to, you know, a product, a whole category. Hmm. Okay. Mike, the expression to throw something away, there is no such place as away. So, you know, what do businesses know about what happens to their stuff when they, let's, let's not use the expression throw it away, when they dispose of it? Yeah, I mean, as somebody said, waste is just a resource in the wrong place. I mean, it, you know, it, it, I mean, clearly it is a resource. I mean, if you think about that on a global basis, you know, more than 60% of that material that, you know, we are putting into that system, you know, I, you know, so we're outsourcing the problem to somebody else effectively. So we're not, you know, we're not sort of necessarily throwing it away, but we're handing it over to somebody else to kind of sort out. So, you know, but globally more than 60% of the material that we are generating as a as a waste in our sort of cities and and sort of factories is still fundamentally ending up in a hole in the ground you know so it's still going to a landfill or a waste dump or or it's leaking into the environment so and this is one of the big challenges around this if you like the this the supply chain that if you like the waste supply chain is it's so complex so it's ever you know it's a kind of ever moving system of multiple materials that are being handled by many different players, it's moving through a whole series of sites and transformations before something happens to it. And so consequently, you know, as we see it, the, the data that is currently available to us and the, you know, the visibility that we have over that system is quite limited. And the trust that I think everybody has in that, you know, in the data that's been generated is, is quite limited as well. So consequently, the outcomes are not, are not brilliant. So, so for me as a, if you like, manufacturer, you know, I could hand my material over to a licensed sort of operator and I have fulfilled, you know, certain sort of legal requirements, but but I really then don't have the visibility over what's then happened to it because that, you know, that contractor may only have visibility over that material for a certain part of its journey or a certain part of its life. So 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 I think that that fundamental lack of visibility and trust across that the if you like the waste and recycling kind of system is hampering better commercial environmental outcomes. And that's really what, to, as Topolytics, that's what we're, we're trying to provide. Um, and so, you know, there's a whole range of ways that you can do that. Obviously, there's a whole range of systems for um, smart labeling, for deposit return schemes. You've got sort of the so-called internet of bins. So we've got sort of sensors in bins and or the bin industrial revolution, as somebody else called it. Um, and you've got sort of machine vision systems now, which are being deployed to kind of identify different sort of materials, for example, different polymers when they're passing through sort of sorting systems. But because the system is so big and so complex, you know, so, you know, there isn't a sort of universal, beautiful kind of data input that kind of gives us that, you know, if you like that version of the truth. So, 
So I think, you know, for us, a, a lot of the way we will sort of track material through the system is by using machine learning and data science and, and modeling what's happening because, because actually getting beautiful data inputs is very, very difficult uh, at this stage. That will improve. I think there'll be more and better machine-to-machine -machine type inputs uh, and different sort of ways of capturing that data. But in order to sort of follow multiple materials through that system at the moment, it, it really involves a lot of kind of data science and modeling and in terms of what we're doing, pulling data in from many different sources and keeping that data coming into the system so that we can start to sort of train models and actually improve what the picture around what is happening to that material as it moves through that supply chain. Okay, and you've spoken about the Topolytics solution, you know, in passing a couple of times, Mike, but maybe you want to give a little more detail about what it is Topolytics provides for companies. You know, what problem are you solving and what solution are you, are you giving them? Yeah, so if you're, a, if you're a company that's producing waste and putting that waste into, you know, into the, into the system, so you're effectively handing it over to a contractor or a third party to deal with, you're losing visibility over that material. You're losing the ability to control that material, to do something else with that material, to understand what happens to it. So we have a, a data platform, an analysis platform called WasteMap, uh, and our customers can effectively subscribe to, uh, to WasteMap. And what that does is it pulls in data from their business and from across their supply chain, and it, it gives them a, a real-time view of how much material has been generated, what is that material, where does it go, how far is it traveling, what is the outcome for that material, actually what could they do differently with that material, what's the carbon attached to the sort of you know, movement and the processing of that material. So it gives them a whole series of, if you like, insights that they can then act on in order to sort of change that, change the, the profile from an environmental impact point of view, but also from a commercial sort of materials recovery point of view as well, and also be much more efficient in the way they can kind of manage all of that data. Because if you've got a multiple, a large enterprise with multiple sites and multiple kind of waste streams, the, the data picture is really quite complex and quite quite messy. And uh, and sometimes it can be rubbish as, as Natasha um, pointed out earlier on. So we're very good at dealing with that kind of data and just effectively creating a um, insights that they can act on, uh, and basically improving, the, if you like, the commercial and the environmental kind of outcomes for all of that material. And that's really what our customers are paying for. Okay. And just from a practical perspective, how does having access to that data help me, for example, reduce waste or recycle what is wasted? It comes back to you can't manage what you can't measure. So at the, at the moment, for most companies that are, if you like, waste producers, they don't have enough visibility over what is happening to that material. So how can they possibly then make logical decisions about what could happen to that material? So how can you scenario plan when actually you don't have enough information to, to, to do that with? How can you create a business model when you don't have enough of that kind of that kind of information? So that's really what we start with. We're providing them with that with that picture. And the more data that's being fed into, you know, into WasteMap, we're seeing data from one, you know, not just one company, but we're seeing it from many, many different companies and many different waste, waste contractors. So the more, you know, the back end, the modeling and the insights that we can generate at the back end are available to all of those players, all of our customers across, across the system. So then we're not, we are augmenting their data with, with what we're seeing from many other kind of sources as well. Okay. Natasha and Mike, to you both, 
Do you think as a result of COP26 or coming from COP26 that there's a greater now appreciation for the need to reduce waste and to recycle more? I think so, definitely. I think that was that was there kind of going into COP, you know, the IPCC, you know, six assessment report, which really um, showed the clear link of, you know, human impact on on the planet, kind of stressed the urgency of what we're doing um, is, isn't great. You know, we need to address this. And um, I think there's still a lot to be understood around, well, what does that mean? What does that mean for organizations? Um, how can they understand what the challenge is and how can they do something about it? Okay. Mike, do you think people are aware that, you know, just reducing waste de facto reduces emissions? Um, I, it's a really good question. I'm not sure they, they do. I, I'm not sure there is a yet... A, 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 I think there's a strong appreciation of the benefits of, if you like, moving towards more circular models where, you know, either designing waste out of the system uh, and or maximizing the utility of all of that, you know, material that we put into the waste stream. But how that relates to kind of net zero goals and how that relates to, to, to carbon emissions, I, I don't think there's as yet a strong appreciation of that in terms of the contribution if you think about the production, the consumption and the use of goods and materials and the contribution that that then makes to the overall, if you like, carbon emissions, you know, it, it can be quite significant. And so I think that that is starting to change. But I don't think that, that there is quite the appreciation out there um, uh, yet. But I think that is that is certainly coming. OK, where to from here? I mean, COP26 has passed. What's what's coming next? And I mean, don't say COP27. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is in a year's time. Um, what, what's interesting is that the UK will host this for the next year. I, I think uh, it would be a big mistake to wait with bated breath following, you know, the, the negotiations that policy is the answer to all of this. I actually think that the private sector's uh, you know, moving faster. And I think the regulations will only get us so far. And actually, business has a huge role to play to create the system-wide change that's needed so that people like all of us can make better decisions around, you know, what they eat, what they wear, uh, what they use, how they dispose of it. So I, I think that business has a critical role to play and, you know, change will only happen from us all working together in partnership, all different types of stakeholders, um, you know, doing that. Mike? Yeah, I, I think like a lot of things, we've got to address it from, if you like, both ends. So we've got to address it from that large scale system, systemic kind of viewpoint, referring back to you know, some of the investment required and also relating to some of those big policy announcements as well. But the devil is in the detail. And so the action, both on a sort of corporate level, but also community city level, I think is going to be, that's how things are going to change. So so I agree with Natasha that that, fundamentally you know we need to take this you know action into our own hands you know and and whether we're a sort of corporate multinational whether we're an sme whether we're a sort of city authority i think that's where the that's where a lot of change will take place but clearly we still need the support of that you know of the investment and the and the money and the policy as well at the same time and we've really seen that accelerate change like in the automotive industry like the unthinkable things are happening and that has been due to regulation and incentives for companies to you know change what they're doing and therefore that's driving consumer habits yeah no no absolutely great 
we're coming towards the end of the podcast now, folks. Is there any question I have not asked that you wish I had or any topic we've not broached that you think it's important for people to be aware of? Natasha, you go first. I think a personal reflection of mine from COP26 is just understanding the role of nature in all of this. I think during COVID, we all became more connected to that. Having, you know, doing walks after work obviously became quite central to uh, keeping sane. And, uh, you know, thinking about protecting nature as central to solving the climate crisis, um, because we all inhabit the earth after all. And I also think that with things like COVID, we've seen that rapid change is possible, like the world supply chains were under such big pressure, you know, people worked at home overnight around the world. So actually it is possible. And at COP26, John Kerry said, things are only impossible until they're done. So I think it's just worth remembering that and that, you know, we have to be hopeful, we have to be optimistic that we have, uh, you know, the insights and the will and the skills to, you know, to do this, to tackle this. Super, Mike? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally agree. I think it's too easy to be overwhelmed by, you know, the scale of the problems that are, you know, sort of facing us. Um, and I think the way to get around most problems is to basically just kind of start chipping away <laughs> and find ways to get around it, find ways to sort of get under the door, round the door, over the door. And I think that's that's the way we need to approach, approach this, albeit the, t- the clock is ticking as we're as we're being told. Um, but I, and I also agree on, you know, fundamentally, we're dealing with a complex being, are we not? And but fundamentally, the, you know, that, that whole saying that the world's economy is a wholly owned subsidiary of the world's ecology. And I think that is absolutely, absolutely the case. Yeah, yeah. I mean, se- several podcasts that I've recorded now for my Climate 21 podcast have talked about how, you know, you can have ecological uh, services being provided by animals, you know, by elephants, by whales, by things like that. I think the role of biodiversity in carbon sequestration is greatly underappreciated. But anyway, look, that's that's for another day. <laughs> uh, if people want to know more about yourself, Mike or Natasha or Topolytics or SAP Solutions, where would you have me direct them? Maybe Mike, you go first. Um, well, you can find us on the SAP App Store as a, as a start for them and um, topolytics.com or find me, Michael Groves, on LinkedIn. Superb. Natasha? I'm also on LinkedIn, usually announcing uh, something exciting. Um, we also have our SAP.com page, which we'll share a link in the show notes. So that has, you know, all of the kind of new solutions that are launching in thought leadership. And we also have 4,000 people taking part in our Open SAP course, which is a great opportunity to understand and educate yourself about the circular economy. Superb. Great. Fantastic. We'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. Natasha, Mike, that's been really, really interesting. Thanks a million for coming on the podcast today. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Thank you for listening to the Industry Insights by SAP podcast. If you want to explore our industry portfolio to find the solutions you need to run your business better, faster and simpler, please visit us at sap.com slash industries.